welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back again this week covering another full book, Eggs, by Jerry Spinelli. As we tell you every single week, or if you are new to the show and this is your first time listening to us, we're a podcast with the Nerd Party Network. We're best friends and we read and reread YA books from our adolescence and we share books with each other. And right now we're doing a little bit of a unit in which we're reading four books, one book per week. And these are all shorter books, and they're all generally dealing with themes of sadness. And this one, Eggs, we've actually both read before. Yeah, we both read this in summer of 2019, correct? Yeah, a friend gave me a copy of it, and I'm pretty sure Asia actually read it first. Like, you took my copy before I ended up reading it, and then I read it. Are you sure? I feel like I wouldn't have done that. I don't remember. I feel like I was reading something else at the same time, and you and I were like... We were just sort of stuck in New York that summer, and we didn't have a lot to do. We were just basically spending all day together every day, if you remember. Yeah. And I feel like you just were like, here, I was like, oh, I just got this book from a friend. And you were like, I need something to read. I'm like pretty sure you read it first. Okay. Anyway, we both enjoyed it, and we thought it might be a nice addition to this unit. For a bit of an intro, Eggs was written by Jerry Spinelli in 2007, and he is a quite famous young adult author. He's written over 30 books. He's probably most famous for Maniac McGee, which won a Newbery Medal, and Stargirl, which is one of his more famous books as well. If we do another unit of single YA books, I think that there's a good chance another Jerry Spinelli book would make an appearance because his, book, his work is taught in a lot of middle schools and high schools across the country for young adult readers. Eggs itself was pretty well received when it was published, but, you know, I was looking into it, and basically the general reception was positive, but more, like, tepid. You know, no one had a problem with it, but it wasn't necessarily groundbreaking. You know, it's totally well received because Jerry Spinelli's good at this, but it's not, you know, like I said, it's not his most famous book. And spoiler alert, that's probably kind of how I felt as well. Asia, do you want to summarize it for us? Sure. So we're following nine-year-old David, who has to move to rural Pennsylvania to live with his grandmother after his mother has a fatal accident, and he isn't acclimating well as he deals with the grief and the loss of his mother. And he meets Primrose, who is an odd 13-year-old girl in town, and they become best friends and kind of help each other through some trauma. And that's pretty much the whole plot. We'll dive a little (laughs) bit deeper. (laughs) We'll dive a little bit deeper as we go through it, but that's the general basis of it but as far as my impressions of the book so when I first started reading I really didn't remember that much of the story but once I got about a quarter of the way through I pretty much remembered everything like exactly what was going to happen and it's definitely a very cute story but I do think this one is more suited for kids and it's also just not as dark as say like Perks of Being a Wallflower that we covered So it's just not as interesting, I don't think, for an older audience, at least in my opinion. So I didn't not enjoy it, but I just don't think that this is a book that I would come back to often because it's kind of like a one-and-done kind of read. Yeah, that's how I felt too. It was fine. I enjoyed it. It was tender. I definitely don't need to read it again. So I think we can just go ahead and dive in. And 
not if my friend is listening. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I've read the book twice. Clearly, I didn't like not enjoy it. It's just like, like you said, it's definitely for a younger audience, and those are the books that have been less like I'm like oh I'm interesting to- for us as adults. Exactly. So we start with David's mom who died recently, and now he lives with his grandmother, whom he kind of just disobeys just out of habit. And then we meet our other protagonist, Primrose, who lives with her mother in a tiny house with only one bedroom. And so Primrose has recently started sleeping in an old car with no tires that's like just an abandoned car right outside her house to have her own room. So this definitely fits the bill of sad, realistic fiction. This is a 13-year-old girl who feels like she can't live at home with her mom and has no privacy and no space. So... She's moving into an abandoned car, so definitely a little sad right there. Yeah. Also, when I was taking notes for this reading, I literally wrote Prim every time. I don't think I wrote Primrose out once. I was like, she's basically the character from The Hunger Games. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so they first meet during an Easter egg hunt, which is when David finds Primrose lying on the ground. Which, before we even get to that, during the Easter egg hunt... David just gave away like he finally found one egg he was struggling to find an egg during the egg hunt because there's tons of kids and he finds this one blue egg and this big kid comes up to him and he's like oh that's mine I dropped it and he just gives it to him like I don't know I was just like kids are so innocent I mean he's only like nine years old so he's not thinking about the idea of this person could be lying to you but again just another sign that this is clearly for a younger audience. Also, as we're going to discover in a little bit, like, he he feels like he has to follow all of the rules. And so it makes sense yes. in a second as to why he's like, oh, if it even if there's even a chance this belongs to someone else, I can't even risk it. But, yes, back to him meeting Primrose. So she's lying on the ground. He thinks she's dead. So he actually tells her, like, all of his secrets because, again, he thinks she's just dead. And basically, importantly... He follows every rule, except his grandmother's, because he thinks that he might be able to make his mom come back to life because his mom died in a freak accident. Basically, someone didn't follow the rules. They were mopping and they forgot to put up a wet floor sign. And so his mom tripped and fell down the stairs. And because someone didn't follow those rules, David thinks that if he can follow every rule, maybe his mom will come back. Which further proves his innocence. And he's convinced that he can make mistakes right even after they're made. Like, it's actually really, really sad because he's just completely consumed by this desire to make everything right and following the rules. And I don't know, this I feel like was not a turnoff for the book, but this was like an immediate sign that I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this as much because that's such just like an irrational thought that only a kid would make. That I don't know, I guess as I've gotten older, I'm more of a realist. So I'm like, that's ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, it's ridiculous, but like, that's why I think it's so tender because he's so innocent. I mean, I guess it makes me, I, I feel like maybe that's how I felt the first time I read it. And this time I was like, yeah, I know that he's going to be like this. So I take your point. I think for the first time I read it, it was great because it was like, oh my God, he really is just trying to like make everything right. But I take your point that now I'm like, okay, it's definitely younger. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And unrelated, but I wrote this down (laughs) because 
like I giggled a little bit. David has a yo-yo holster because he has a yo-yo. Like that's his hobby. And I just like, it doesn't relate to anything. Maybe if I was teaching this in middle school, like there'd be some symbolism in the yo-yo, but I just thought it really needs to be mentioned that he has a holster like for his yo-yo. Oh yeah. I definitely found that part quite funny. I also wrote that down. Like there's not anything special about it, but he talks about how he has a yo-yo holster. And I was like, what kind of kid? (laughs) I've never seen a kid with like a, like a yo-yo on like their belt loop or something. Like I also found that quite hilarious. Hands up or I'll whip out the yo-yo. Like (laughs) very, very funny. But so back to our plot, David meets Primrose again at the library, and this time she just gives him her address, and he just goes. He just shows up one day to the address that she gave him, and I was like, this is so dangerous because Primrose isn't even actually there. It's her mom, which we haven't mentioned, but her mom goes by Madame Dufy because she considers herself to be... A psychic. A psychic. So this is part of why Primrose doesn't like her mother. But anyway, so he just shows up and Madame Dufy is there and she like invites him into like her dark house and is like, let me look at your foot to like look at his future. And I was just like, that's totally not smart. I mean, again, his innocence, he's only nine years old. He just went into some stranger's house. Like, she could have been a serial killer or anything, and he just totally went in fully trusting. I mean, to be fair, that's how I felt last book when Hazel just goes over to Augustus's house with no... But that was different because she met Augustus, and Augustus was, first of all, they're the same age, and he... He's friends with one of her friends. Like, she knew Isaac already. He's clearly showed up to this legitimate cancer meeting. So he's had cancer. And when she gets to his house, like, his parents are there. Like, she meets his parents. Like, even if, okay, you said it was maybe not smart of her to, like, get in the car with him and, like, go because he could have taken her anywhere. But David rolls up to this lady's house. And this crazy lady walks out and is like, come inside. I'll tell you your future like yeah no i take your point he definitely has no supervision and i did keep thinking that as i was reading the book i was like when i was nine i definitely did not have this much liberty like i could not have like biked off and then been like gone for a couple hours like did you say when this book was released 2007 2007 so i mean that was like a little bit i mean if he jared's maybe thinking of But I'm thinking, yes, that is when we were nine, but I'm thinking of when he was writing the book, if he was thinking of from his childhood, which, like, even in the 90s, like, I'm sure kids were wandering around with, like, less supervision than they are, were even in the 2000s, so. I mean, to be fair, my family, we did do some, you know, we, my brothers and I absolutely were probably what you would consider crazy, but I, I still, the whole time I was like, um. You're just out of the house. You're nine you're nine nine years old. Why are you out after dark? Yeah, the after dark thing was interesting, but we'll get there. I just queued that up as a segue for you. So <laughs> they do start going out for adventures at night, mostly to collect trash to repair and resell for a profit because Primrose needs money to like buy paint to paint her car slash room. 
again, I give you a transition and you just leave it on the ground. It's like I served the volleyball and Asia just walked away. Whatever. Um, that's another thing. I definitely did that as a kid, but not as a kid. I did that as a teenager. So like my brothers and I, oh, I hope we don't go to jail for this, but. You would go digging through people's trash? No. We, when my brother was in, my brother and I were in high school, we would go to the municipal dump in Vienna and go through the electronics box because basically in Europe they sort recycling really, really well. So computers and like tech things would be in one box. So we would go through and like get computer parts. And my brother like built computers and like stuff like that with like what was perfectly fine things that people just like got rid of because they were modernizing, getting new thing, new tech. And like, we definitely like broke into like the recycling lot and took stuff. Wow. I did not do anything like that. I don't think I ever was hanging out after dark alone. But again, I was a teenager. My parents knew where we were going. (laughs) They were like, we support (laughs) this. My little, my older brother wrote his college admissions essay about it. We support so. this thrifting adventure. That's what it was. Anyway, let's talk about some of their specific escapades before we talk about things that are going to get me put in jail. Yeah, so while well, I just loved that David was just like, I'm going to go to sleep now in the wagon that they were taking with them during the first time they went out to go trash digging, he was just like sleep just overcame him so he's like i'm climbing the wagon and primrose is like what are you doing you baby and he was like i don't even care i'm going to sleep and he just slept and she like delivered him back to his room through his window all while he was asleep i mean if you dragged me out after 10 p.m i would also just fall asleep in the wagon so i understand yeah so i just thought that was very funny but then later on they go on a much grosser adventure because they start to go look for worms in the dark yeah that was really really gross and i hated it the first time i read it and i hated it again this time i was like why are we talking about worms which just to give a little context they're going to search for worms because refrigerator is it john john refrigerator john is like this adult that Primrose knows that he has his own place and they like during their night adventures, sometimes they'll go to his place, to, like watch TV and hang out. And he's just like a nice guy. And he's like their chaperone. Like he's like the only person that knows where they are. And like he literally, you know, we get like a chapter from his perspective and he's like, you know, someone has to be responsible for these kids. Yeah. So he's like starts giving them tasks so that he knows where they are. Yes. And so he, one of the tasks he gives them is to go look for worms because it's not that far from his house. And he says he wants to like open up a bait shop. So he'll give them like a nickel and a dime for like different kinds of worms. And he'll give them a quarter for these like giant worms, like that are called night crawlers, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so on the night that they go to do this, I think for the first time, they're like searching for the worms and they start finding finding the night crawlers, the really big ones. And David and Primrose end up going for the same one and they're like tugging on it really hard and it ends up ripping the worm in half. And they're like both really upset. And then David ends up dumping Primrose's like they each had a bucket full of the worms they'd been collecting the entire time. He turns hers over and dumps all the worms she had 
which again, Primrose is the one who mainly is like wanting the money because she's living in a car and wants to decorate it for herself. And so in response to this, Primrose decides to leave David alone in the dark. So she just like turns around and runs away from him. And obviously he's a nine-year-old boy. So he gets really scared and starts screaming like bloody murder. But (laughs) I don't want to sound like a terrible person, but I was like, David deserved to be left alone in the dark for doing that. Like what a little brat. And especially again, Primrose is the one who actually needs money. Her mom does not take care of her. David is obviously sad by his mom dying, but his dad is still a part of his life. He works a lot to take care of him, and he has his his grandmother to take care of him. So, like, they're in two completely different positions, which is, again, I think just from an adult perspective, he's a kid, so he's not thinking like that. But just for me, that, like, whole interaction was just why I feel like as a a kid, like, a preteen, I guess, like, I would never want to hang out with younger kids because they just cry and make everything seem like it's your fault when they're the ones who started it. I mean, that's also could be like older, oldest sibling things because I am the oldest. So I don't know. Did you feel that way, Charles? No, I felt like... I felt like Primrose was in the wrong yeah, she needs the money, but she's supposed to be the bigger person. She's supposed to be responsible for David. And even though, yes, he shouldn't have done that, like, and this is, I mean, I'm not the oldest. I'm the middle child, so I'm like, oh. but in many ways, I'm like the oldest of two. Like, there's, you know. But for me, I'm like, it's her responsibility to take care of him and like shirking on her responsibility is not okay to me. See, whereas I'm like, I see them as both being kids. Like, yes, Primrose is 13 and David is nine, but like, they're still both like, it's not like she's like 16, 17, like almost an adult. Like she's a kid. And also again, she's the kid who actually has like real trauma in the sense of, David, obviously, it's huge and traumatic for him to have lost his mother, but he didn't come from a home where, like, your parents didn't want you. Like, it's different. It's a different kind of grief. Like, his mother was taken away from him. But, like, Primrose probably feels unwanted. Like, her dad left. Like, she's never met her father. And her mother is insane and, like, doesn't care enough that, like, Primrose doesn't want doesn't want to live inside the house. Like, she just doesn't care about that. So, I guess for me, I'm kind of, like... I just, I can't be like, it's Primrose's responsibility to take care of this spoiled brat when, like, so that was just my thing. I think that it really, I don't think either of them should be responsible because they're both kids. So I don't think that one should be more responsible yeah. than the other. I think, and also just the idea of, yes, Primrose is, Primrose is older technically by years, but mature level, maturity level, she's hanging out with a nine-year-old. Like, I don't think she's at that point where she's a responsible, like, preteen teenager that's obvious so i'm just saying so that's why i didn't really blame her in this moment but i definitely felt the idea of like god like the younger kid or sibling or whatever is always the one ruining everything i mean that i understand yeah also like the crying thing i'm like i was all i i was like i was like that when i was a kid and love my little brother but like he would cry all the time and i'd be like why are we crying you're crying to get ahead and i can't deal with this (laughs) 
Yeah, so which we will say in this scene, they do, Primrose does learn her lesson because like David is like terrified and refrigerator John like comes out to get him. And he even says that like he sees Primrose's face and she doesn't even need to be scolded about it because she knows that she won't ever do something like that again. Like it wasn't like he cried like, oh my God, Primrose left me. It was like he thought he was going to die out there. So they both kind of like learned their lesson. Yes, that's true. Well, so then we get this big reveal that the person that Primrose says is her father is not. So they're at a flea market, and David finds someone selling picture frames with stock photos, and the stock photos are all of Prim's dad. He takes a photo, and his grandma says it's actually Clark Gable. (laughs) And then David realizes that that can't be Prim's dad, obviously. And that's not how I remembered it. I knew he was going to figure... I knew... I knew that we were going to learn that the person in the photo is not Prim's dad. I didn't think that David figured it out himself. I thought that we got the information, but because he's a kid, he just says, like, why is Prim's dad in all these photos? But he actually puts two and two together. So I just, you know, clearly in the last three years, I've forgotten something. Yeah, I honestly didn't remember any of this, which we do later find out that Primrose does know that the photo that she carries around and says is her father is not her father she basically just says she does it to like pretend which again points to to me her being in a worse situation but um yeah she's definitely carrying some baggage around yeah so i just yeah i did i honestly like forgot about this whole plot point well more importantly for me at the flea market prim sells a fiesta wearable and I was like, yeah, I would have bought that too. Asia and I have both eaten off of Fiesta Ware before. They're great dishes. We're not sponsored by them, but I endorse. What's, what is Fiesta Ware? Fiesta Ware is like a line of dishes, like a nice like luxury line of dishes and um, like cookware. And they're like thick, thicker than China. And they're brightly colored. I hope I'm not butchering this. But and what have we eaten off of those? You know how when we go to Thanksgiving at my family's house, we go to dessert at a friend's house? Yes. They have fiesta wear. Okay. I didn't know that. And what does that Good say about know. me that I know what, what dish sets my family friends? <laughs> Whereas I had no idea. I need a hobby is what that means. That means that I need a hobby. Anyway, let's move on before I continue to embarrass myself. Um, But if you want to send us something, send us some fiesta wear. So not to jump ahead, but that is kind of how this book goes. They're walking to Philadelphia. Yes. So (laughs) when I was reading this, I did remember this, that this was going to happen. But I'm still just like, again, showing that Primrose is really not that much older mentally than David because she really thought they were going to walk all the way to Philadelphia. And they live in, like, rural Pennsylvania, so it's miles and miles and miles away. And she's like, we'll just follow the train tracks and just walk till we get there. And, again, I'm just like, these kids are going to get themselves killed. Like, I cannot imagine doing something like this as a kid. Like, I don't ever remember being this, like, clueless. But... There, but I didn't suffer any of the trauma they did, so I could understand if you don't have people 
looking out for you, like Primrose, or you have people, how in David's case, where his grandmother is trying to give him space to like grieve, he, you have more time to obviously like get yourselves into tough situations. But I did remember most of this plot point and I did know that they don't die, but like we said, still not very smart. And I think I thought that I remembered the reason why Primrose wants to go to Philadelphia is because she wants to see the Waving Man, which I don't know if we talked about this before, but basically, who tells them about the Waving Man? Do you remember? Refrigerator John. Refrigerator John tells about this Waving Man in Philadelphia that he just like every day stands on the corner of like this busy street and just waves at all the cars like at like at rush hour. And so she wants to go see this man. And that's what I thought. And that is what they were planning on doing. Yeah, but they're doing it with no food, no planning, no hydration. They don't know how long it gets there. Like, you can tell that this is something kids would do. Because if you even had, like, a tiny bit more worldview, like a teenager, you would never think, I can walk across multiple townships Well, without water. She- she did bring some, like, snacks. Uh, she didn't bring food that would last them, but she did bring some, like, candy and, candy. like... Candy. Okay, candy. A the sandwich, worst I think. And then she brought them, like... She didn't even bring them water. She brought them their favorite soda, which is, like, Mango Madness or something. Yeah, not exactly what you should be... But drinking. I will say, at least she brought something. She didn't come completely empty-handed. I'm not willing to give her any credit, because, like I said, this reading, I've been, like, no on her. See, whereas I'm like, I definitely feel more sympathy towards her. I mean, even at the end of the book, but let's not jump ahead. Let's focus on where we are. So There's not much left. There's not much left. <laughs> Basically, they decide that, you know, it starts to get dark and they're going to have to spend the night. So they, like, find a clearing, like, just off to the side so they're not right on the train tracks and also not in, like, view of, like, any homeless people or, you know, serial killers just wandering. <laughs> the train tracks at night but david actually ends up reading primrose some bedtime stories which i thought was really sweet because primrose had told him before about how her mom like never read any bedtime stories to her as a child and like david even thinks about how his mom used to do that and so he decides like he just stays up all night basically or not all night he stays up for like maybe 30 minutes or something and tells her <laughs> all night to 30 minutes. So I think he's like a nine-year-old. He couldn't have stayed up that long. But he's like reading by the moonlight. And then when the like clouds cover the moon, he just starts making up stories and telling them to her, which I did think this was a really sweet moment and kind of shows how where David kind of stood up to the task of like being the like bigger person. Because again... Even though David's lost his mother, he he never felt unloved in his life, like where Primrose has. So he's kind of like filled that gap for her, given her so, a sweet memory that she doesn't have any. So I thought that was really nice of him. Yeah, I it's it's sweet. I I buy that, but they're sitting next to a train track. Like I don't know. It was like. Yeah, and this is why you know it's fiction. Because I was like, they're just out in the wild. Out in the wild. No food, no water. Sitting in a train track and two children, like children, children, just next to a train track. 
sitting there. Uh, surreal. Anyway, I'm over it. I mean, it, it is a book. It is a book. Thank goodness. Let's remember. So then also when they're sitting there, they reveal, Primrose reveals that she knows it's not her dad in the photo, which basically like, you know, means that David doesn't have anything over her anymore. And that like, she knows deep down that like, she knows you've been talking about this whole episode that like, she's probably felt unwanted for a long time. And like pretending that her dad is someone that she can like one day meet is obviously more comforting than thinking my dad is, it's so hopeless because my mom literally felt like she'd just make someone up just because it's so unlikely to meet him. Like that was really sad that she knows that. Yes, and I'll also say something of while they're actually, like, walking throughout the day, David does kind of throw a couple tantrums of, like, I want to go home. Like, I don't understand why you took me out here. Like, we're not going to make it kind of thing. How far away is it? Whereas Primrose is kind of like, you're stuck with me. It's too bad, so sad. Whereas I do think, again, Primrose has nothing to lose. So she's not really thinking of it of, oh, like, probably really thinking about, like, oh, our safety and this isn't safe. So, yeah, I just think that's something to point out. And then we but should then, talk about the sunrise. Yes. Yeah, so then they go to sleep. When they wake up in the morning, they end up watching the sunrise, which something that we haven't mentioned yet is that another like one of the rules that David has made up for himself is that basically like the day before or like the morning before his mom had her accident and passed away she had told David that they were going to go see the sunrise the next morning together and so since then obviously that never happened because she did die he has not seen a sunrise because he feels like if he sees the sunrise again that'll signify that she's really gone and really dead and she's not coming back so he's never watched the sunrise and Primrose actually gets him to like come up on like the edge of like they're near a dam or something I think and she gets him to open his eyes and watch the sunrise and he's actually like really grateful for it I think that was another good moment of you know he gave her the bedtime stories and while she was able to like push him to you know accept that his mom isn't coming back kind of thing so I did think that was another again sweet moment like signifying their friendship Yeah, I agree. Like, I like the way you said that, that, like, he gives her the bedtime stories and she gives him the sunrise. Wow. Poetry right there. But also that, yeah, she helps him come to terms with the fact that his mom is not coming back. And, again, that yeah, the whole, like, I can't watch the sunrise is definitely proof of his innocence. But thank goodness a police officer (laughs) saves them. Like, a police officer saves them, picks them up. Their, all their family is waiting for them when they get back to town. And, like, I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yes. Even Primrose's mother is actually there waiting for them, which she's really surprised by that. But I do like that I think on the ride back, or at some point near the end of the, at the end of the book, Primrose comes to conclusion that the waving man... Well, actually, go back. Primrose wanted to go to see the Waving Man in Philly, 
because she wanted to ask him why he waves. Why does he do it? And so then at the end, she comes to this conclusion on her own because they don't get to see him that he waves at people because they always wave back because people, he always waves at the cars and people are always waving back, which I also, I just thought that was like sweet that like she was able to come to that conclusion on her own. And even though, you know, she took them on this crazy adventure that they almost died for to get this answer that she came up with on her own, but still I thought that was sweet that she did come to a conclusion. And as readers, we kind of got an answer to that. And then something else I just wanted to mention was that also at the end, David uses this metaphor where he says that everyone else's voices joining his life, like Primrose, his grandmother, all the people he's met, doesn't fill the like fill in the hole that his mom leaving him left behind, but it does kind of build a fence around this hole so that he won't fall in anymore. And I, I thought that was just a really sweet metaphor to show like no one can fill the hole that his mom left behind, but like he can still heal from it and like learn to live without her kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's a really beautiful metaphor. I agree. It, it was touching. And I know we talked about this on last week's episode. So, you know, that like I'm right around the anniversary of my grandfather passing and like living with grief is something that like I've been thinking a lot about. And this was quite resonant um, in thinking about like being around my family now has helped me, you know, build my own fence. So I really I liked that a lot. And, you know, it was a nice crux to the story. Also, uh, you know, it reminded me a little bit of, like, when we read Twilight and Bella's, like, there's a hole in my body when Edward leaves. And then when Jacob comes and he leaves a hole and then she's like, I can't do it with either of you. And I was, without either of you. And I was like, mm, what a different way of thinking of the hole in your spirit when someone leaves you. <laughs> No response. No, I don't think I have anything else. Okay. Well, I, yeah, that's, oh, you didn't have a response to my Twilight reference is what I meant, but whatever. So for me, I feel like that about the book. Like we even writing this outline and like looking at our notes and preparing for the episode, like we very much went along the plot of the book, which we normally don't have to go plot point by plot point by plot point when we have a lot to say. So again, I don't want to sound like I'm coming down hard in the book because I do think it's sweet. And I think that like middle schoolers would get a lot out of it and like should read it. But it's definitely one of the books where I'm like, yeah, I don't think I need to read that again. It's perfectly enjoyable, but I'm done. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I still like it better per- than Percy Jackson though. Well, Percy Jackson is also what five books. This was one book. Yeah, well, Percy Jackson was one book written five times, but yes. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then they only kiss underwater at the end. Come on, nothing. (laughs) Anyway, then I guess that wraps up this episode. So next week we are going to be covering a whole new book, which will be Bruiser by Neil Shusterman, which this is not a super popular book, I don't think, but Neil Shusterman, the author, he lived near or in my hometown basically and I know his kid like went to the same middle school as me and I remember he came in like take he gave uh like 
talk to, I think it was my seventh grade English class. And so I have a ton of books that I've read that we'll cover over the podcast because I do think he's a great author from what I remember and the books that I've read as a kid. So if you're going to go ahead and read along with us, you can go ahead and read the entire book for next week. And we're also going to mention that the following week we'll be moving into some new series. And our next one is going to be the Inkheart Trilogy by Cornelia Funk, which is a Charles pick. So if you're going to read along with us for that as well, we're going to cover the first half of the book of the first book of Inkheart. It's a me pick insofar as I grew up hearing about it. I've actually never read the Inkheart Trilogy. I know a lot of people have. Fun fact, it's actually originally written in German. The author, Cornelia Funke, the German pronunciation, she wrote a bunch of... I've read a couple of her books in German, but I've never read the Inkar Trilogy. And the Inkar Trilogy is super popular in the United States. I think they made at least the first book into a movie. But we'll look at that up when we get to it. But I've never read it. I'm really excited to get into it because, if I remember correctly, it's magic. And we haven't read any magic on the podcast in a while. So I'm excited for some magic. But we will finish Bruiser. Ne- we'll do Bruiser next week, and then we'll move on to the first half of Inkart. If you want to talk about those books, this book, any book, questions, predictions, theories, you know the drill, you can stay in touch with us on the Nerd Party Network website. You just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact. You select throwback paperback. That'll send us an email. You can also reach out to the Twitter. Whoa. You can reach out to the network at large on Twitter at joinnerdparty or Instagram.com. You can reach out to the Twitter or Instagram.com. Whoa. This is how you know, guys, that we don't, like, just use the same audio file at the end for the ending because sometimes I get speak too fast and I get ahead. So let's back up to social media. You can get in touch with the network on Twitter at Joy Nerd Party or Instagram at The Nerd Party or Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. You can find me, not really, on Twitter at C.E. Sheeland and more actively on Instagram at Seashells. And I'm at Asia Bonia on Twitter and TikTok and at Asia.Bonia on Instagram. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcasts and share with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. But make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yep. Hit that subscribe. Have a good one. I'm sorry I spoke too fast. And we will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.